0: nothing in the Bible that that is against large churches. There's nothing against small churches. Every church has a place, and um, and so um, you know sometimes people think that the, the solution for the future is more programs, uh, more things for children, for teens, uh, more contemporary architecture, having a swimming pool, having a gym. I inherited a gym, which is very nice. Uh, but I but I am aware of a church in Plano. I won't mention the name of it. And it's, it's huge, and they have a complex for, for youth, which is multi-million dollar, and it's um, you know got all the electronic games and computers and everything. But then they did something that, and I'm gonna be a little critical, they did something that I think wasn't good for them in the community. They built a gigantic food court, and they have their own restaurant, and what they said to the people was, now we don't have to leave the, the church. Oh. And they ruined all the local uh, little restaurants that were in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so, the view of the <clears throat> local restaurateurs were, well, thanks a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But, but we're supposed to be light and salt, right? right. Yeah. And how can you be light and salt if you never go to where there's darkness? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And how can we be salt if we're not preserving things that are that are not working? So, uh, so this is one that concerns me. Gallup, the Gallup poll uh, still shows when they ask people, what do they think of clergy? Uh, in mm-hmm. terms of, are they honest and ethical? Uh, 39% are uh, answered by saying uh, we think clergy are honest and ethical. Uh, 39%. That means 61% said they're slightly above used car sales, Uh, which is not really good. So, you may have seen it. August 17th, there was a video that went viral. Pastor Carlton Funderburg of the Church of the Well in Kansas City. Did anybody see the video? Without Mentioned it in my talk. I wanted to look at the video to make sure what they were reporting because obviously the press can get it wrong I watched it several times and it was disturbing During a service he started saying to the congregation You are disgusting you are cheap. I asked for a luxury watch. Did anybody hear this story? Uh, I asked for a yeah. luxury watch in December and this is August and you haven't given it to me You know what he was asking for? He actually named it by grant you wanted a Movado, a Gucci, or a or Prada. That watch runs between ten and $14,000, and this is not a mega church. Here's the problem with this. We know there are bad seeds in every profession, you know, but that became viral. And for the almost persuaded, that is what keeps them from coming to church. They go, see, they're always out for money. We know that's not true. We know there's a lot of authentic people in ministry, pastors, uh, associate pastors. Uh, But it gives everybody a a black eye, sadly. So uh, I'm going to ask you this question. It's kind of a rhetorical question. So what is a healthy church? And uh, when I ask the question, I'm not asking what is the size of the congregation, what's your worship attendance numbers, what's the number of programs, what's your budget, what's the size of your staff, what's the seating capacity of your sanctuary. You know, when, when I'm traveling, people say, well, tell me about your church. The first question they always ask me is, how large is it? Mm-hmm. How many people attend it? That, my burden is to preach the truth of the gospel to whoever God sends me. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if it's 10 people or 20. Uh, this church, when I came in, had about 65. Years ago, maybe it had 300. But I love the people God has sent us. And, and any pastor wants growth, quite obviously. But the reality is, we put the emphasis in the wrong place. I I really believe so. So let me reverse the question. What is an unhealthy church? And you probably know the answer to this. Um, Leadership that has no vision, uh, people that are comfortable never being challenged, members who are content to be what I call pew warmers, uh, outreach that's never planned and never preached. And And then the question becomes, how do you think of your church? And I'm very careful. When I drive up to this building, I never call it my church. It's Jesus's church. Mm-hmm. It belongs to Him. He's the head of it. And, I, and I'm very careful, even when I preach, not to make the mistake of saying my church or our church. Come along to us. We're all temporary. We're just kind of passing through. Mm-hmm. And the Lord has given us the privilege of, of leadership for for a time. Um, over the years, um, and because I don't know most of you, I can say this. So I've been, in, I've been a leader in churches in Chicago, Waco, Weatherford, and now here. And in every church I've been in, this is my phrase, I have run into owners. They consider themselves owners, like they've given a certain amount of money. And they'll say, that's my chair, that's my pew. And, and, and that's a mentality I don't like because you don't own the church. And, and generally speaking, the people who give the most money want to control the church. And that's where you have uh, a lot of tension. So I want to I quote from Galatians this morning, the first chapter. And um, as, as Paul wrote letters to specific churches, he was trying to correct them, uh, just sometimes gently, sometimes not. But he would see <clears throat> errors. <clears throat> and one of the things he saw with the church <clears throat> with the Galatian church, <clears throat> that while they believed in the grace of Christ, they still thought salvation was keeping the law. The law of Moses. Yeah. So he writes this in chapter uh, 1, verse 6 through 9. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now that there is, uh, Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. One of the problems that I see with churches today and churches that aren't growing, and even churches that are growing, is they are not preaching the authentic gospel. Let me give you some examples. One is called, I'll give you the titles, but I'll explain them formalism. Uh, uh, church attendance is enough for salvation. A legalism, you know, that salvation can be earned by keeping rules. That negates God's grace. Uh, and the biggest one for me, it, it, it has many names, but the prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. And let me define it very simply. That God rewards those who are faithful with material wealth and health. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. Sometimes <coughs> God allows difficulties in our lives, does he not? Mm-hmm. So when he allows cancer, when you lose a job, when you have economic hardship, the implications of the prosperity gospel is that the poor are spiritually deficient. That's not the gospel. That the sick are out of God's favor. That's not the gospel. Uh, you can be sick because you're out of God's will. But but uh, uh, so so that has replaced faith with what I would call positive thinking. Sometimes we call it karma. So let's do a quick uh, attitude inventory. If our thoughts of Christ's church are unkind, or ever jealous, or bitter, or, or, or even uh, um, angry, um, we've got to remember that everybody in the church Jesus died for. And so um, we must avoid spiritual sickness. So here's a couple of research points. Uh, the Pew Research said in 2020, your know, research is always about one or two years behind, <laughs> 3,000 Protestant churches were started. Isn't that great news? 4,500 closed. so you see the discrepancy of 1500 so what is the hope for the church Um, again the local church does not belong to the pastor or the elders or the deacons or the congregation It belongs to Jesus Christ he's the head Um, and um, you know recently somebody was saying well what's our mission statement you know every corporation has a mission statement that's okay it's called the Great Commission (laughs) (laughs) Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you really don't have to spend a lot of time uh, working on it um, and in Ephesians 4 you know, they, they tell us about the evangelists the pastors, the teachers that are needed to uh, equip the church and um, um, the, the key thing is the unity of, of worship the unity the body, building up faith knowledge of Jesus, becoming mature in the faith now I want to make a comment here about fellowship and friendship why do people come to church? Well, they come for different reasons. And on a Sunday morning, I, I try to get here early, and, and I watch the, um, the interactions. You'll have some people who will show up on Sunday for nothing else. Like I do an evening Bible study, and we have other programs. They'll come to nothing else in the church but the worship service. And so um, there are a lot of clubs in, in the world. I belong to a club. Fort Worth has a camera club. And I'm a master judge there, so I belong to a club. Why is there a club? Well, we all have a similar like. Right. We all like to take photography and we all like cameras. There are movie clubs, chess clubs, glee clubs, book clubs, hiking clubs, <clears throat> golf clubs. I know that sounds like a, a joke, but you know what I mean. Um, there are people who, who love playing bingo and poker and kino, VFWs, Rotary, Kiwanis. We can call them a club, we can call them a lodge, You can call them a fraternity. But they all share something in common. They have the the pleasure of socializing. They have shared interests. They get to meet their friends. They swap stories. They show photos of children and grandchildren. Uh, Sometimes they share a skill. It can be fishing, hunting, uh, quilting. I know clubs where they share an occupation, where they're all in law enforcement or or former, former military. But here's my question. This is why I say all this. Can a church become a social club? Yes, it can. And, uh, of course, there's a part of church that is social. We all need friendship. We all need fellowship. We're not meant to live the Christian life alone. One of the things that I, uh, other than the disease of COVID, one of the bad effects of COVID on the church was that people started watching streaming. I just disconnected our streaming uh, for several reasons. But one reason was I had people saying, well, I don't need to come to church anymore. I can watch you on TV. And Paul says, "Do not forsake the assembly," which means we have to actually be together. We could have done this today by Zoom, but you wouldn't have had this food. Okay, so that's why why we we didn't do Zoom. But 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 I've had people actually say to me, "Well, I got two children. Sunday morning, I have to get up. I got to dress them. You know, that's a lot of work, Pastor." Well, you did it before. You did it before, but now with COVID, you know, we had this thing where uh, we became we became comfortable. Uh, Yes, there's a social aspect to church, but it, it is not a social club. Uh, some of my research, uh, you may know the name Tom Rainer and Lifeway, um, and there's still a basic question we ask. The basic question is, "What is truth?" And the Bible presents a unique look at truth. And of course, that was the big <clears throat> question that Pilate asked of Jesus. It was a philosophical question: "What is truth?" He was playing with him, of course, and um, and Pilate never realized when he asked the question, "What is truth?" He was looking at truth. <laughs> and he was looking at, at the person who said he was the truth. I am the way and the truth and, and, and the life. So the question I think a lot of people are, are asking today is, is there absolute truth? <clears throat> and there's only one of two answers. There either is or isn't. And uh, it's got to be a truth that is true at all times, in all places, for everyone. <clears throat> Before I entered uh, th- my theology, my grad school theology, um, they said I had to have a four-year degree, accredited degree, in philosophy. And I didn't understand that at first. I understand it today. So so I went through four years of philosophy. And the, the thing about philosophy is you have logic, uh, critical thinking, epistemology, which is how you learn. And today I see the wisdom of that. Because before you study theology, you've got to understand the arguments of the people out there in the world uh, against Christianity. Um, and so we, basically, a pastor is a shepherd, and a shepherd uh, has to have wisdom to lead the flock in the right direction. Uh, to, to argue that there is no such thing as absolute truth is an absolute claim, so you're just contradicting <laughs> yourself, right? Um, G.K. Chesterton said this, when a man does not believe in God, he doesn't believe in nothing, he believes in anything. And, you know, there are a lot of conspiracy theories today. Um, somebody said, you can believe something really hard, and it can still be wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. So, here's an interesting stat. 41% of Americans strongly believe the Bible is just a different expression of truth. And they have put the Bible, and I find this scary, equal to the Quran, the Book of Mormon, the Torah, the Vedas, and Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard. If you've ever read anything about L. Ron Hubbard, Scientology, he admitted he was a fraud. <laughs> and he actually says, "says You want to make money, start a religion," and he did it. And even some of the people who follow him don't even realize that he he he, he actually told you what he was doing, and they didn't they didn't uh, realize it. Um, I believe in a real devil, by the way. I believe in real el- evil. When we see these tragic school shootings, you watch the news. They talk about sociology. They talk about psychology. What they always omit is the role of the devil and evil. And C.S. Lewis said that the most cunning thing that the devil did was to believe he doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so we try to explain the things we see in every way. Now, I think there really is mental illness. I, I don't mm-hmm. doubt that. And I think there's real evil. And I think both can happen at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think I think the evil or a demon can enter someone who is mentally ill and and, and use them. And so. Um, you know, to deny, for instance, that there's a devil is to deny that Christ encountered. He didn't encounter in the desert a metaphor. You know, it was a real, real a devil that he was trying to. Uh, so, um, the other thing that that I want to talk about is, uh, for many years, um, when I was doing prison ministry, we were going into prisons. We used the Four Spiritual Laws. I don't know if you ever saw that little booklet. Mm-hmm. But, and, and let me, and 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 I, I got I, I got to meet the founder and a lot of wonderful people over the years, but the first spiritual arts, if you remember it, the little booklet, starts with, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Mm -hmm. The problem is when you're in a prison, somebody has a life sentence, and they open the booklet, and it starts with, he has a wonderful uh, plan for your life. You're going, really? Okay. (laughs) So um, um, a pastor named Paul Chappell said this, the devil also has a plan for your life. Mm -hmm. And he expressed it in five words, doubt. First of all, you question God's work. Discouragement you focus on yourself rather than God. Diversion, you're attracted to sin. Defeat, you feel like you're a failure. And delay, you put off the Holy Spirit prompting you to do something. Um, when churches fail, I think one of the reasons is we're not discipling people. I came from a church where it was all about the numbers count. How many people are coming forward? How many people are coming forward with no following? We didn't care about how they were growing, whether they were returning the faith. So, here is, here's another quote. Only three in ten believers ever share their faith with unchurched people one-on-one. Let me say that again. Only three people in the church ever share their faith with an unchurched people person one-on-one. That's only 29%, only 29% of church people in America share their faith. Um, and so, uh, here's one more quote from Chesterton. <clears throat> if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. You've probably heard that that book before. So. I'm gonna say today that I believe in some truths that are non-negotiable. The divinity of Christ, the necessity for the cross, the belief in the resurrection, the second coming of Jesus, the fact that the Word of God is inspired, that the Bible is without error, I believe in the Trinity and we're saved by faith, not by works. Those for me are non-negotiable. And if that is not the foundation of the church or a ministry, Then you can go in almost any direction. Some of you uh, have my business card. In the back of the business card says, uh, Ephesians 2: For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves; it's a gift from God, Mm -hmm. not of works, lest anyone boast. Mm -hmm. The reason that's my life verse is, and it's not in my Bible. I lived in a monastery for seven years. I was a Benedictine Mm monk. So there are very few Baptist pastors (laughs) that were ordained as a Catholic. (laughs) Very few. Right. And and I can tell you from experience that, of course, I was raised that way. I came out of an Italian family. I had no choice. I was an altar boy. I was Catholic. And um, some priest came along and said, well, you ought to give your life, you know, to, to the church. You ought to be a priest. Um, I married and have a son because celibacy didn't work. <laughs> and by the way, I knew it from the beginning. I just kept thinking, how is this going to work? And it never did work, obviously. Uh, it, it's a hard thing. But You didn't but, have that gift. No, I didn't have that gift. I called him. But let me say this, that I remember times, uh, the monastery was in the northwest corner of Missouri, uh, not near anything, it had been built like in 1840. We had this huge basilica, and I would shuffle on my knees, took about two hours to get around, trying to be good enough to get to heaven, Mm -hmm. because I thought it was all on me. And you know, the problem with that is, it's like the, uh, the hamster in a wheel, after a while, it just it, you can never do enough yeah. you keep thinking okay what, what I can fast I can do this I can do that and then I see myself as a sinner and <laughs> and it, and I won't give you the whole story but in the monastery one day I'm outside walking in the cornfield and I literally ran into a telephone pole I mean it was there it was so dark I didn't see it and I looked up and at that moment the moon was out and I saw the t-bar which looked like a cross and it was in that cornfield I gave my heart to Christ I hugged a telephone pole and cried for hours. Then I went to my bishop, and I said, we're teaching things that aren't in the Bible. To which he said, why are you reading the Bible? He actually ordered me to stop reading the Bible. He said, we will interpret it for you. I'm standing in front of you, uh, brothers and sisters, today, because the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart. So do I understand Paul's conversion? Very well. Very well. Uh, do I have a, a burden for Catholics, from Catholics? Absolutely. Uh, I have so many relatives that are Roman Catholic, but, but fundamentally, there was like a relief when I suddenly realized it wasn't all on me, that Christ had done it all at the cross and by grace. The final thing I want to say is uh, one more um, uh, statistic that's kind of interesting. 50% of Americans, maybe church or not church, at least monthly are thinking about trying to find more meaning and purpose in their life. That's what we can build on. Mm-hmm. That's what all of us as, as a church, as a ministry can build on. The fact that people, have, they know, you know, and, and it was uh, uh, Augustine of the year 300 who said, every one of us is like a jigsaw puzzle that is a missing piece. And that piece can only be filled by God. And there are people who are dying all around us in Granbury, in mm-hmm. Texas, in, in the world, who just don't know that that piece is God and we have the answer and we've got to share that answer. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. you.